Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Snohomish County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash hb. Again, altitude-re.com slash hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. Another episode, episode 118 of Real Hawk Talk. I'm Brian Nemhauser at Hawk Blogger on Twitter. And uh, I'm joined tonight by our intrepid crew, uh, Evan Hill at Evan and SEA. How are you doing, Evan? I'm doing very well. It's shit on the Rams week. And I realized we're 10 seconds into this podcast and it already turned rated R. So I apologize to the audience for that grave mistake. Thanks for that, Evan. Good job. Uh, also joining us tonight is Dana O'Gorman at Dana OG on Twitter. How are you doing, Dana? I'm doing good. I'm excited to talk about the Rams. Hopefully, yes. without more swearing. Yes. Um, <laughs> I am curious. How are you feeling? Uh, are you are you recuperated from from your? Uh... I have my ankle surgery. I have a ways to go still, but I should get a walking cast tomorrow. So no more crutches, no more. Okay, so you're you're doing more walking than Daryl Taylor. Is that right? Well, he's probably doing more running than I know. <laughs> yes, I might be doing more walking as of tomorrow. We'll see. But yeah, so yeah, I'm doing good. Thank you so much. Good to hear. Good to hear. And we did hear Daryl Taylor is actually working with the performance uh, and fitness guys and doing lateral cutting and we got that good news. We don't know, you know, Pete Carroll is pretty noncommittal about more than that. Um, I got to get something off my chest though, to start with guys. Oh boy. Uh-oh. I could tell something was pent up with you. <laughs> I could just, you were holding something back. I, I got to get something off my chest. So, so this part is not news. The Seahawks 
pass defense is the worst pass defense in NFL history up until now. Right? We, we, we all know that. It's terrible. We hate it. Don't know it. There was a – we also know that Quentin Dunbar played an awful game on Sunday against the Bills and that he looked not only bad, but he looked hurt. He looked yeah. injured. Did not look like he moved around. Pete Carroll confirmed that knee injury, called it a chronic knee injury. All this is stuff we know. Well, guys, I was listening to Pete Carroll's Monday press conference, not today's, but Monday. And there is, I want to, I want to read to you. This is a quote, quote, <laughs> word for word about what he said about Quentin Dunbar. And this is just the start. Is it going to emotionally traumatize me? Well. We'll see where it takes us, but this is what he says. Quinn Dunbar is a guy that plays on field. Different style than just a straight on the line scrimmage press guy. That's not the way he plays. As we learn him and adapt to him, we are learning how to best position him. And sometimes he's coming up with stuff that's farther off the line than we see fit. But we're trying to figure out how best to help him play. He's a different player than the guys we've been playing with. Now, my ears, that jumped out to my ears. And I'll tell you why. Because we've been spending a lot of time talking about the players. We've been taking a ton of time talking about the coaches, about why this defense is as bad as, as it is. We have spent precious little time talking about the personnel department and John Schneider and what they've done. And when you have a coach, the head coach, talking about a player that you acquired that isn't the style of player that you're accustomed to playing with. That is a huge red flag to me. And it made me think about what have we done? What have we invested in this secondary over the past few years? Let me give you a couple numbers to think about. This is just since 2017. So 2017, 2018, 2019. Okay. Three years. Would you care to guess how many total draft picks we have spent on the secondary in those three years? Hazard a guess. Total? Like total. total draft picks. Total draft picks. And this is either drafted players okay. or trades oh. that required draft picks to be spent. Oh, God. Six? Oh, it's got to be a more. good guess. I think it's eight or nine, maybe eight or nine. I was going to say nine, but then I backed down a little bit. It is 12. <laughs> yeah. The Seahawks have spent two firsts, one second, three thirds, two fourths, three fifths, and one six round pick on cornerbacks and safety since 2017, 12 total picks. Those players, Shaquille Griffin in the third round, Lano Hill in the third round, Tedrick Thompson in the fourth round, Mike Tyson, who you might forget, in the sixth round, Trey Flowers in the fifth round, Quandre Diggs was a trade for a fifth round pick, Marquise Blair, second round pick, Ugo Amadi, fourth round pick, Quinton Dunbar, fifth round pick, Jamal Adams, two firsts and a third. I thought we were Guys, talking about secondary players. <laughs> You'll have your chance, Nathan. So, so guys and gal, that's not good enough. It is not good enough from a personnel department that is trying, clearly trying to invest in the secondary and they're trying to do it in, I think, odd ways with going on the cheap with fifth round picks and trading for players. 
that maybe don't fit your system. They are in 2017, Jeff, if he was here, bless his heart, hopefully he's listening, knows how strongly I felt about that draft that they need to spend at least two of their first three picks on secondary players in what was almost a historic secondary draft. What did they do? You know, they didn't do that. They tried to get cute. They end up getting Shaquille Griffin in the third, which is a decent pick. Lano Hill, Tedrick Thompson. How much did that set this franchise back by those two picks? Instead of picking a Buda Baker, instead of picking uh, a Wuzier or any number of other players in that draft that were available. So I'll end it here just by, by opening it up for a conversation on this, but um I look at Pete Carroll as being the chef and John Schneider being the, the guy that supplies the ingredients. And I look at the ingredients John Schneider has given Pete Carroll to work with, and it's not completely, they, they're a partnership, but John Schneider's ability to find secondary players to fill this, to fill the secondary, I think, is a major contributor to why this team is playing the way it is. And I'm curious hearing all that, Evan, what's, what's your reaction? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't disagree with you. Like there's been some, there's been some major misses mm-hmm. over the past several years. Like I, I don't think anybody can dispute that. Um, I'm just, I'm just trying in my mind, I'm trying to weigh how much I think Ken Norton is also a factor here, because if you look at the current state of the secondary, Shaquille Griffin, Quinton Dubbart, Jamal Adams, Quandre Diggs as starters, like those are, that's a pretty decent level of talent. I think you can criticize how they got, how you got and acquired them, but to me, they're underperforming right now, their talent level. Quandre Diggs has not been a flashy player this year. He's had a couple plays here and there. He's a player we're not really talking about who's underperforming. Jamal Adams has obviously been injured. We can give him a pass or not if we want to. Uh, Shaquille Griffin, when he's been healthy, has not been living up anywhere close to expectations. Again, Quinton Dunbar is maybe – I know I literally just said like probably two hours ago Shaquille Griffin was the most disappointing player in the secondary, but Quinton Dunbar might be. Like that quote you just told me, Brian, is pretty shocking to me. It's, it's one of those things where it's like, what's the fucking problem? Just learn the press technique. Like, like what's stopping him from learning this whole like step kick coverage that Pete Carroll has been teaching to every other corner. Ask Kerry Williams. But like, would you, I mean, really? Like Quentin Dunbar is way more talented than Kerry Williams ever yeah. was. Like, like what's yeah. the problem there? That, that just confuses my brain. Like that should not be a problem is what I'm saying. <laughs> like, it's a, I mean, it's, Dana, it's, I, I want to get your input on this as well, but like the, there's gotta be something to say for learning from past mistakes. How many times have we talked about this? How many times has trading for a player actually worked out for the Seahawks? How many times has signing somebody as a free agent, as opposed to drafting and developing them actually worked for the Seahawks at cornerback. And you know, at what point do you start saying, okay, you've got to learn, you've got to learn the, the ways that work for your team and the ways that don't. And, and maybe, you know, maybe this, this process has been flawed. What, what's your top? What's your thought? 
Well, let me add just a little more fuel to this fire. <laughs> so I read a stat today that said this current um, defense has allowed 100 more yards than the 2013 team did in the entire season. <laughs> now I read it on Twitter. I didn't verify it because I was just like, it sounds true. It, it sounds, sounds right, true. Right. Like it, it sounds correct. You know, when you're averaging 40 points, a game, it's just like whatever. Okay. So even I have a hard time being optimistic. You know, I know that's my job on this show and that's, and usually I can find a silver lining, but this is really difficult. I, I have to, and you know, this hurts me to my core to say, but I kind of have to agree with Evan a little bit. I have to wonder, is he drafting for names or are they going after free agents because of the name, because of the splash, because, because that is not who they have ever been before. So you reach for Quentin Dunbar, you, you know, go get Jamal Adams and remember, please let's all remember how ecstatic we were when they did that. I mean, oh my God, we were so thrilled. Right. But it makes you wonder you know, what is he saying? Is he getting bad information? Is he, um, is he getting, you know, bad scouting? I, I don't know. I'm not trying to make excuses for John Snyder. Everyone misses. That's just the way it is. It seems like they're missing on one position quite a bit, but here's my other question. My other thing that I was saying is you have to, when it gets to coaching, and this is where I agree with Evan, you have this talent on the field. We all know the level of talent that's on this field. Are you forcing them into a system which you want them to be, or are you playing to your player's strengths? I don't know that Ken Norton has figured out how to use the players that he has and their strengths. And I would want to give Quentin Dunbar a little bit of a pass too, because I'm not sure he's been healthy all year, to be real honest with you. If that is a chronic nagging knee injury, it makes you wonder if it's been around for a while. And I do want to say, because I have a tendency to defend him regularly, um, Quandre Diggs does have two takeaways this year. I just want to put that out there. I just want to put that out there because I really, I, I, I really think that he is a very strong player and I'm glad he's in Seattle. But, but you have to wonder, are they just misses or are, especially on these free agents, are they just not playing to their player strengths? Nathan, bringing you in here, and uh, at Nathan E11 on Twitter. Welcome, Nathan. You look very short today. I think your uh, <laughs> camera's like, um, maybe you're just feeling a little down after this weekend. But um, you have somewhat tongue-in-cheek, somewhat seriously, probably more and more seriously over time, been talking about the fit of Jamal Adams in this in this defense and what he brings. And so it's a related it's a related topic to this. Um, you know, do you think that the actual plan for how they're populating their secondary is like, what percentage of the part of the problem do you think that is? Is it mostly that? Is it mostly the coaching? Is it mostly the talent? Like what, what's your perspective? Uh, I mean, I still think it's mostly the coaching, uh, but as this goes on and on and we got kind of a unique opportunity to see the contrast between how they have used him and how they chose to use uh, Ryan Neal. Um, it seems like it was very intentional, right? At least on the coaching staff to use him, you know, in this aggressive blitzing way. And, uh, you know, I, I, I still think that you could put him in like that classic Cam Chancellor 
like role and you know maybe blitz him a little bit more than he did with cam because he, he is really good at it um but just play him like you know a typical cover three strong safety and i still think he can be really really good so i, I don't think it's talent um I, I think that they're just using him in a really weird way and uh i mean hopefully they can kind of figure it out and and give him a chance to do the thing you know that that their safeties have really excelled in in the past so um interesting nathan i'm kind of curious there so does that mean that you're do you think that there's you're hopeful about that Jamal Adams can become uh, more than just a blitzer for this team um, and, and be a, a contributor and a solid player at that safety position? Are you still kind of of your mind that maybe this team's better without Jamal Adams um, than they are with him? I mean, right now, like the way that they are choosing to use him and the way that they are choosing to use Ryan Neal, this defense isn't better with him on the field. Um, I, I don't think that that's like a hot take or anything. I think that's just a fact right now. Wait, um, what? Because of the differences and how they use him and how often they blitz him and how they are unable to cover that up behind him. I think they are not a better defense with him on the field. Oh, right now. God, that take sounds so hot, but I think you're right. It's, it's not a hot take because I don't think I'm not saying that Jamal Adams is not better than Ryan Neal. Of course, right? I, I hear you. That's just really painful to swallow. <laughs> <laughs> but it's kind of borne out. I mean, I, I don't think there's anything like crazy about it. Um, and, and maybe somebody will throw some stats at me and, and say, oh, actually, you know, they've been technically better. But I would be very surprised if, if there are stats out there that show that they are a significantly better defense. Right. It, when you think about Jamal Adams and you think about Ryan Neal they are not getting that kind of improvement in their defense the way they are choosing to play him. And so um, I think there are reasons to be concerned. I mean, he he had some rough patches and coverage on Edelman and Diggs, but, you know, Edelman and Diggs are good players. And so, yeah, I'm still hopeful that if they just kind of go back to doing the thing that they, like, had a historically good pass defense doing, then I think he can look a lot better. Yeah, Dana, I see you itching to get in here. I, I want to clarify what, what Nathan's saying and then make sure you get a chance to reply here and uh-huh. respond. Okay. But Nathan, you're, like you said, you're not saying Jamal Adams is not a good player. You're not saying that uh, Ryan Neal is better. You're saying that the Seahawks coaches have decided that when Jamal Adams is in, the one thing that he can do from their perspective is blitz. So they blitz him all the time, which then puts the secondary more pressure on the secondary, which leads to more holes and, and, and worse play. That's, that's your diagnosis. That's what you're kind of saying. I don't know if I'd say that they think that's the only thing that he can do, but clearly they really value his ability to do that. Okay. Dana, go ahead. So here, here's my only issue. I, I agree with you that they are blitzing him way too much. I, I do think that that is a byproduct of how bad their rush was before. I'm hoping that um, with the addition of Dunlap, that maybe that will back off a little bit. We can hope. I mean, or when Ben's Mayo comes back, when they start getting some of those people, we have to remember the injuries people. But I also want to say it's hard. You can't really make that judgment in the handful of games that Adams has played. He was gone for a month. And I think that last the last week's game, he had not played. I think he was rusty. I think it was time for him to come back, you know, and, and I think we are going to see an improvement. So I, it's not that I really disagree with what Nathan's saying. I just think there's a few caveats that have to be, you know, remembered. 
Well, yeah, it's because and- he was off the field for so long that you can actually make this comparison, right? We yeah. have mm-hmm. as many games without him as we do with him. And- well, I, yeah, I agree. But at the same time, you don't have like a whole season with him. Do you know what I mean? And so it's not like we can say, you know, that he's really good in this situation, that situation, because he wasn't around. And, and the rest of the defense, I don't know. I just have a hard time saying that with, with such little, from both him and Neil. Such I think little. you're talking about how definitive of a statement that is, Dana. Like you're yes. saying there's, there's too small of a sample size to say definitively yes. that the team Sorry. is, Sorry. I think that's what you're saying, right? That yeah, is and- exactly what I mean. Yes. I don't think yeah. that we should jump to that conclusion yet. And I, I, you know, to be clear, I'm talking about like retrospectively, right? If you look back, I think that that, you know, what I'm saying is true. I agree with you that like looking forward, you can't necessarily think that they're going to continue to bash their head against this wall, right? Or that, you know, Adams maybe can't get better, you know, if he's still healing or whatever. But, you know, here's the deal. So there's a pretty even split. I think it's about four games with him and four games with Adam, right? Isn't he, that how many he missed? Four? Roughly. Okay. So with Jamal Adams on the field, they blitz. Uh, this is courtesy of Sports Info Solutions. With Schwan, they blitz thirty percent of the time. With him off of it, they blitz seventeen percent of the time. So it's almost twice as much. They twice blitz when he's on the field. They run man coverage with him on the field thirty percent of the time. When he's off the field, they ran it ten percent of the time. Wow. So three times as often. Hmm. they're running man coverage right and then they run a stack box considerably more too but i'm sure that has a lot to do with the blitzing so like it's just kind of a fact that they're doing something very different when he's on the field and and that's why i say that you know right now they're not a bet with him on the field because of how they're choosing to call you know call their plays when he's out there well and that's where that's where i mean here's where i think we all agree jamal adams is a great player this is not a question of whether he's a great player. That one in particular, that's coaching. I, mm-hmm. I think we all agree. I mean, certainly health plays a factor, but, but there's this there's this thing going around with Seahawks Twitter, especially people that haven't watched this guy play, are like, oh, he's he's bad in coverage. No. No. His coverage, like the last two years, he was an 87.5 and 89.6 graded safety and coverage. It's not his... I think that's overstating his coverage. I don't think he's that good of a cover player, but he's a damn good cover safety. He can do it. He's definitely better than I would say Cam was um, as a cover safety. And they're just not, people are showing this clip last week of him on Stefan Diggs and Stefan Diggs just making him look foolish. That was a play where, where Jamal Adams was faking a blitz and then was trying to backpedal off as the play was called. And like, there's no, like he was going to, he was trying to guess which way Diggs was going to go. He was not in good position. That might've been his fault for where he was not where he was supposed to be before the snap could have been the, the coaching the the play that was called, whatever it was, he's not in particularly good positions to make plays as a cover player right now. Um, at least in this game this past week. So it's not his lack of capability. That is absolutely a coaching issue. And as we kind of look, you know, we'll talk about, we'll talk about the Rams for sure for a lot of this, this podcast, but I don't have any confidence in Ken Norton understanding how to disguise the blitzes. I don't mind if that they're going to blitz fine. What I kind of came to the conclusion last week against the bills. I, you've heard me on this. I've been all over the place. I've said, you know what? Blitzing the first few weeks was hurting their, their coverage. They couldn't do it. 
They've got to do more off to protect against the, the explosive passes. They did that for a while. It kind of worked. Well, now I don't think there's any coverage that would have protected the way Quentin Dunbar was playing last weekend. Mm-mm. He was hurt. He was, he was hurt. And in fact, they the started field. that game not blitzing. They started that game playing zone and playing off, and they were getting torched. It wasn't I, until the second half, which people don't realize. Second half of that game, guys, the Bills averaged 3.2 yards per play. They actually did okay in the second half. Mm-hmm. There was just a bunch of turnovers that made those, you know, really short drives for, for the Bills to, to convert. So, anyway, Evan, I mean, what do you want to see – what do you what do you what do you want to see happen in the secondary? Like, what are the things that you believe, whether it's personnel, approach? What do you want to see happen going forward? Yeah, so that's a great question. Two things. Um, I want to stop seeing Jamal Adams so predictably utilized as a pass rusher, but that's actually second in my priority list. Priority number one, I actually think, is are our cornerbacks. I think Shaquille Griffin and Quentin Dunbar are playing absolutely abysmal. I know Griffin's been out for a couple of weeks, but he might be coming back soon. Um, my biggest problem with the whole Jamal Adams thing is like Jamal Adams is a, is a box safety. He's really good in coverage. Stop making him play the role of like an edge defender. Like stop overcompensate. Let if the pass rush is going to suck, let it fucking suck. Like that's not Jamal Adams job. Jamal Adam is a, is a safety. He is not an edge rusher. If he can, if he can, if he can rush the passer, great. That's a secondary benefit to who he is as a player. His primary role is to be a safety, okay, and cover cover players in coverage. That's who Jamal Adams is. So it's really two things. I hate to get amped up about this, but like Ken Norton needs to stop predictable, so predictably utilizing him as a pass rusher. Just bring it back like five to 10%. Like, like Nathan was saying, it like nearly doubles when he's on the field. Like it doesn't need to double. Uh, it's just extremely predictable. I, I, and I also think like by doing that, you're making our already bad corners struggle even more because Jamal can't give them that, you know, over the top safety help. So that's, I know I jumped back and forth between those items, but I, I think number one, I'd really like to see our corner play improve. Like Shaquille Griffin has got to step up to the plate. Like if you told me Shaquille Griffin, you know, steps up to the plate the rest of the year, suddenly I get really excited about this defense. But so far this year, he just hasn't been the player we need him to be. Dunbar has obviously been nowhere near the player we need him to be either. We need better play out of our cornerbacks. And yes, the safeties are underperforming, but the corners, they're a problem. Dana. Mm-hmm. Pete followed up today by indicating Quentin. It sounds like Quentin Dunbar's at best a question mark for this Sunday. Mm-hmm. And knowing Pete, he starts by having some, you know, some of the statements he had on Monday. Then all of a sudden that chronic knee injury, yeah, he just can't go this week. Are we seeing a changing of the guard? Uh, he even, I don't know if you caught this. I have to get the exact quote, but he made reference to like when Shaquille gets back, it wasn't even clear that Dunbar would be one of the top two corners. Yeah. Are we seeing a changing of the guard at corner? Well, he was awful happy with the way Trey played, wasn't he? 
Mm-hmm. You mentioned that multiple times in a couple of different press conferences. Um, you know, it, it could be, or maybe that knee really is a lot more than we knew it to be. And then what he said about him not quite being the player he thought he was going to be, that, that's pretty damning, I think. That, that shows us there that, that he's just not quite as high in him. Now, if he keeps him out for a couple of weeks and all of a sudden that knee is good and he comes back and can be that great player, but it, it does make you wonder. Um, but I don't know hamstrings are funny too. Like we always talk about the groin with, with Adams hamstrings can be funny too. So you're, he's in quite the predicament at this point, because we're running, literally running out of players. And so it makes you wonder if Pete being Pete, if he has to hype up Trey, because he's going to be his only, you know, choice here pretty soon, or if he's just, you know, hedging his bets with Dunbar. I I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if the chronic knee injury continues to be an issue and and he sits out for a while to see if Trey can continue to build upon what he did last night. Cause I thought he looked, I mean, it wasn't. So Dana, I have a question for you. Oh God. Okay. Moving forward. (laughs) Oh my Lord. (laughs) Is Trey flowers our best corner? No, moving he's forward. Not. No, moving. are you sure not. about that? I'm sure about that. I, I really how Trey think... has been playing over the past couple games. One game. I, I mean, it really was one game. Let's be honest. I mean, he's been better. I mean, better than the first time we saw him on the field. Right? Holy cow! So, but do you trust Shaquille over him, or who are you I trusting? do. I do. Okay. Now, here's the difference I saw with Shaquille Griffin, and, and I do think that he'll get better. God, hamstrings can be so weird, though. But, um. The reason is, is he, you are, you guys are absolutely right. He runs hot and cold. Like he'll have a couple of games where he just looks like he's not even really sure that he's on a football field or a soccer pitch. Like he just looks completely confused. And then he has a couple of really strong games. And then sometimes it's quarter to quarter, like one quarter is really good. One quarter is really bad. I do kind of believe because we've seen him do it before that Shaquille can come back and be the player that he was a year ago, two years ago, you know, when we, when we trusted him on that side, um, as long as these injuries don't continue. So no, I don't think Trey Flowers is our, is Seattle's best cornerback going forward. But if these injuries continue, I mean, you just don't have a lot of options. Well, here's some, here's some information to consume on that. Oh so, no. So <laughs> over the last three weeks when Trey's been starting, oh boy. Uh, his he is uh for players that have, have played at least 50 percent of of the snaps so you know getting the the guys that are actually playing a lot of snaps trey flowers is the 13th ranked cornerback in the nfl um over those three weeks from pro football focus okay Hear that dana yeah i heard it but i'm mad you care to guess what <laughs> quentin dunbar's rank was out of oh, 62 players i can't even imagine. dunbar over those 62 weeks? i would say 55 yeah, 59. His grade over those three weeks is 41.1. His coverage grade is 37.8. Oh, my God. So this is where I'm saying, guys, like, I think at this point, you can be experimenting with Ryan Neal out there. Mm-hmm. He was actually, people don't realize this. He was brought in as a corner for this mm-hmm. team. And Pete confirmed that today that he's an option. Sounds like DJ Reed is an option out there. That would be a little more surprising to me. He's a little shorter. They usually don't go with the shorter corners out there, although he does have long arms. They don't have a choice. <laughs> you got Lyndon Stevens. Like at this point, I think you got to start throwing things against the wall. Um, be, and even if it means Quentin Dunbar goes on IR for three weeks 
and hopefully his knee heals up. And that might be best thing for him. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and Maggie, I want to give her credit in the chat. Uh, she said we need to start a, well, I won't use the words that, that, that Evan would use, but, uh, uh, or Maggie, but we need to start being really hard on, um, on Quentin Dunbar, like we were on Trey Flowers so that Quentin Dunbar starts getting good. Because apparently it worked with Trey. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we have been harsh on Trey Flowers. And but Trey Flowers didn't have an injury. I, I feel like we're hedging our bets a little with Dunbar because of the injury. True, true. But I mean, like, give Dunbar credit, regardless of whether you think he's actually the 13th best corner or not. You know, I don't think we're any of us are jumping to that conclusion. I think we would all agree he's played meaningfully, like, clearly better than he did at the start of the year. He's improved. Um, and he basically, like, picked himself off the mat. I think that's something to be commended. Like, the, the guy had reason to have no confidence after the way he started. So, thank God for Trey Flowers. Um, Nathan, we talked a lot about the secondary. How do you feel about the pass rush? Like, the Seahawks had seven sacks last week, which they haven't had since 2013, I think is the last time they had seven sacks in a game. So, uh, they did it by blitzing all over the place. You know, a bunch of cover zero. Actually was pretty effective um, from a numbers pers- from a lot of the numbers perspective in terms of yards that they gave up, but also had a lot of holes. Um, and they were, they were giving up chunks of plays and they seemed to do it at different times. Do you, do you believe that, that, that that's a style that they should embrace? I mean, it worked for them against San Francisco. It worked a little bit in the second half. Or are you going to feel more comfortable with them playing a little bit more, you know, uh, four four man rush and 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 playing zone or whatever behind it? What, what do you think makes sense from a pass rush perspective? Yeah, I'm not a fan of blitzing. Um, I would like I was saying earlier, you know, not I, I want them to go back to the the 2013, you know, cover three defense that they were playing, not just because I think it'll utilize Adams better and uh, make him more effective, but just because I think that that's a more sound defense and I just prefer uh, teams that play that way. Um, I think that when you start to blitz, um, especially, you know, the better the quarterback, uh, you know, you're just leaving yourself, leaving holes in your defense. Um, And and a lot of the really good quarterbacks, you know, uh, can exploit that. So no, I don't want them to to keep blitzing and I don't know that they need to keep blitzing. Um, I I thought Dunlap played really well. Obviously Reed had a, a nice game. Um, I thought green looked pretty good, uh, especially considering it was his first game back. Um, you know, you, you're probably going to get Mayo back. Um, Robinson has shown some flashes and, and, and looks to be capable. Um, so I, I think that this is a front four that you can probably get enough out of that. You can go back to playing, um, the way that they used to play. Um, I mean, we'll see. Uh, it'll be really interesting to see how this team matches up and what they do against the Rams. Um, they've really struggled uh, to to match up against the Rams, um, and if they can, if their blitzing helps them there, um, that's obviously you know interesting. Uh, and maybe I'll change my tune a little bit. But uh, personally, I'd like to see them just try to to do some basic stuff and do it well, and um, try to use Adams, you know, flying around like Cam and and get away from kind of making themselves a uh, what's the word um i don't know holy full of holes yes uh, yes vulnerable there you vulnerable. go i think that's the word you're looking sure. for yeah I, 
It's interesting. I, I've really been there. That's that's been where I've been most of the season. From what I saw in that secondary and what we just talked about in terms of, I don't think she could get Britt Griffin's back this week. I don't think Quentin Dunbar plays. I don't think the guys that they've got behind them are people that you can count on. I think the only way, the only way for this team to play, knowing the people that they do have and what their strengths are, is to be completely freaking risky. I think they need to be super aggressive. I think they need to come out blitzing. I think they need to, even if they get burnt, keep blitzing. And I think they have to hope that they create turnovers and, and, and big plays that maybe a team goes down, 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 and they get a sack and they get a false start like they did in the Bills game. And then Adams does not get an illegal contact when Ryan Neal sacks them on third down this time. You know, like, I think that's, personally, that's the style I think they have to play right now. And I wish, I wish Jim Johnson was still alive. Uh, former linebackers coach for the Seahawks that went on to be an amazing blitz heavy zone blitz style defensive coordinator for the Eagles for many years. Um, but that's what I think this team needs to do right now. I think that utilizes their talent the best and look, I would rather them lose going running forward than just giving up these chunks of yards sitting back. Because I, I, ha- I just haven't seen enough evidence that they can even hold teams by, by sitting back. So, um, I mean, they did give up 20 points in the second half. <laughs> I know, but you know how long those drives were? There was a drive of 20 yards, a drive of three yards, um, a drive of, I think, like 10 yards. Like, there's, those are all, almost all of them were turnover-based. There was only one legitimate drive. And that drive came when Adams got that penalty. Otherwise, it would have been a zero-point drive. They would have had to punt. So, um, I, seriously, it was they gave up seven yards per play in the first half. They gave up 3.2 yards per play in the second. And they absolutely went way, way, way more blitz crazy in the second. To me, the, the adjustment is don't be a dumbass. Like, third and 16 – like understand the formations, understand that, that you cannot just do it every single play. You have to mix it up a little bit. And Pete talked about that this week. You have to mix it up a little bit, but I'm okay with them being aggressive. Cause I think they're going to get burnt either way. Um, Let's can we call this like the Benson Mayo rule? Don't be a dumbass. <laughs> jump up, jump over the, the line. Right. Yes. Can we start calling it that? Yes. Okay. I like that. Okay, cool. Okay. Another thing for this group um how many how many tackles how many pressures how many sacks did quentin jefferson have last week brian you bitch i don't need to hear that i don't need to hear that i don't know it's an easy they did get the game he did get the game ball though he did and you know what the game ball matters more than anything that happens Uh all right no i really just said that because i wanted to queue up one other thing i just gave you trey flowers grade over the past three weeks Guys, oh boy, who oh, is the third ranked defensive tackle in the NFL over the last three weeks? The number one, and this is guys that they're playing, you know, at least 50% of the snaps. Number one is Aaron Donald. Of course. Number two is a guy named Folurunsu Fatukasai from the Jets. <laughs> I'm not even coming close to pronouncing that name right. No. <laughs> who is number three? Don't feed into this. Do not feed into Number this. Number four is Jeffrey Simmons. Number five is Chris Jones. Number six is Leonard Williams. These are legit good players. Who is number three? It's Jaron Reed. 
That's who you think it is. Anyone have other guesses? It's Puna Ford. Really? Yay, Puna. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I'm so selfishly happy you don't have that own on me. Oh, <laughs> oh I was so nervous. Jaron <sighs> Reed. Jaron Reed is 25th on that list, which sounds not nearly as exciting as third, but... My priors are confirmed and intact. <laughs> That's what's important really. here. 25th is pretty good. Uh, Jaron Reed's doing just fine. Um, uh, ahead of Stephen Tuitt, for example, who's a damn good player. And ahead of Fletcher Cox and ahead of Lindahl Joseph. But uh, are, we, are we missing Puna Ford? starting to realize the potential we thought he had. Is that happening? I don't think so. I, we talked about <laughs> him quite, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like we have talked, we talked about him a lot at the beginning of the season. I feel like way back, whether good or bad, we were, we were talking about him quite a bit and there were certain people in this group that maybe didn't think he would reach expectation but um and that he wasn't someone to be relied on but you know we've improved so i think that we've always known that he was good it was just the i don't know the overall sense of that line we weren't we were real optimistic about. the reality is is we have to rely on big big poo from oh, now on no i just I, I i think that's the take no that's why I'm here for that type of analysis. <laughs> it is not the take. That's not what I remember. <laughs> I, I'll say, guys, I mean, I, it surprised me. I, it's encouraging. Um, he had a 91 grade against Arizona. He had a, a 70 grade against San Francisco, and he had 74.1 against Buffalo. Those are three really solid games in a row, and um, I, I don't think he had three games like that last year mm -hmm. uh, in a row. Not that consistent anyway, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think that that's, that's a sign. I think Jaron Reed getting two and a half sacks. Guys, Jaron Reed's on track for seven sacks. Okay. Off one fucking game, Brian. <laughs> Chill your. He's Chill. Got, he's Chill. Got... <laughs> no, we're not. We're not playing that. It's, game. it's not real. Dude. It's yeah, real. Off of one game. He okay. did. And, and so it's real, but. Those early sacks that he was getting, he was not playing well in those games. Listen, you guys, the Seahawks are tied for 16th in sacks. So much better than last year. So uh, much better. Pass rush moving forward is not the problem. What? What? No, hold on. There's... No, it's not. <laughs> you just it's made not. their heads explode. It's the no, no, no. I'm just, the what secondary. is the pressure rate of this team? How does the pressure rate compare? Because this team. I don't has... care. The secondary is worse. Oh, sure, 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 sure. But I'm talking about the 16th and sacks thing. I mean, with oh. as much as Seattle's been scoring on offense and stuff, I think you would – I mean, they've had a lot of opportunities to, to rush the passer. Uh, if so, if you're asking what their sack percentage is, where they rank in that, they rank 23rd. Um, it's about 5%. That could move upwards with Carlos mm -hmm. over the course mm -hmm. of the second half. Let's talk about Mr. Dunlap. There's a lot of people that were like, I even got this from my son the day of that trade. He's like, dad, why, why is everyone so excited about Dunlap? He, isn't he washed? Like he has two sacks. Like, is, is this guy even going to help? And I was like, just wait. He Isaac, made their left tackle look like 
a grade schooler on a couple of plays. Isaac, if you're listening, <laughs> old men can play football and they can be good at it. Look who's suddenly a fan of old men. <laughs> <laughs> He's good. He's a good football player. It was a good trade. I mean, what can you not like about this? I, I wish they had made another move, but looking at this trade in isolation is exactly what they needed. What's there to complain about? Really nothing. I mean, um, I am looking at their pressure rate last year, by the way, was 5.36, which was just brutal. So they are below the pressure rate from, from last year, just, just uh, comparatively. Um, I know Dana gets annoyed with us quoting all these stats, but um, no, no, but... I, I looked up stats this time. I didn't want to look like the dumbass. So I, I had my yeah. stats. <laughs> actually the stats are like, like they're like a security blanket we use to seem like we know what we're talking about. But I just, I just use the numbers to help me figure out if anything that I'm saying makes any sense whatsoever. And and sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't yeah. <laughs> um, more, more times than not. It doesn't. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Carlos Dunlap had a sack. He could have had more than that. Um, you know, Rasheem Green, Mr. Ernst, I thought yeah. looked okay in that game. Yeah, he's he's pretty good. I think he's all right. That's high praise from Nathan. This is why we have Nathan on the show, <laughs> because of his in-depth analysis about the players. Um. Yeah, I mean, if... <laughs> If Benson Mayoa comes back this week, which I don't think he's going to, but let, let's say let's say next week, Benson Mayoa, Alton Robinson, Rasheem Green, uh, you know Carlos Dunlap, L.J. Collier. Like, there's only so many snaps. Um, how do you expect that to play out? Who plays? I'm I'm hopeful that when he comes back, that Mayoa is going to move to a more rotational role and is not a full time starter. And now that you have Green and you know Collier does not look like an absolute dumpster fire, right? He looks you know fine. Uh, <clears throat> and then Dunlap as well. That's three guys that you can you know give a a, a significant load to, and then you can bring in Mayoa and have him rotate in and and do what he does best and be more of a you know a pass rush specialist. And so. Um, you know, for all the reasons that, you know, me and you, Brian, had said that there's a chance that this uh, pass rush is actually better this year than it was last year. Um, I think that that looks that all the same logic for that looks good right now. It looks better than it ever did, really, because now you have Dunlap, who potentially is, you know, I mean, I think we talked about this when when they traded for him. He would have been like a second tier guy of all the free agent guys that we were mm-hmm. looking after. Right. He wouldn't have been like at the very top of the list, but he would have been right there you know, after those guys. And so, you know, they've, they've potentially added a, a blue chip or I think a red chip maybe is, I don't know. I, I lose track of the chips, but uh, you know, so they've added someone who's really good. They've gotten depth. So you can bring Mayoa back and, and put him in a more natural role and limit his snaps and keep him fresh. Uh, I think that there's reasons for, you know, some reasonable optimism. They're not going to suddenly be like, you know, one of the best pass rushing units, but I think that they can look like a, uh, professional pass, uh, football team right there uh, at that spot. So it sounds like a rare uh, roundabout agreement between Nathan and Evan. Um, we usually are used to Evan and, and Dana agreeing on everything, but we get a little bit of all the time, all the time. <laughs> exactly. um, Nathan, let's, 
let's take uh, some patron questions. Um, if you don't mind setting us up with those, we'll do the uh, one question per person kind of round robin. And um, for folks that haven't already, join over at patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Um, gets right in, five bucks a month, um, right access to the, to the Slack channel right away. Um, and we'll answer your questions as best we can uh, uh, every week. Um, so some pretty active game day threads. People were pretty pretty bent last week, as I think all, a lot of us were. We've even created a special channel in the Slack, uh, in our Slack space called Positive Vibes Only. So there's really? a place you can go. It's a safe space where the only things that are allowed to be discussed are positive things regarding the Seahawks. So you know that by itself is worth the price of admission. So go over on patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Nathan, hit us. What do you got? Okay. Uh, Evan... Uh, if you can extend Chris Carson right now for three years, $22.5 million, do you do it? That's three for seven and a half per. No. Right answer. Okay. Um, Brian, uh, the, I think uh, the Seahawks are opponents are starting drives at the 22 yard line. So this comes from Z Ray, uh, and I'm just going to trust that he has his data right here. Um, so that's the best in the league. Um, does that make Michael Dixon the most impactful defensive weapon on the team? <laughs> um, I'm going to go with no. Uh, I, I, I like the idea and it's a, I think it's a, he's up there, but given the fact that the defense has given up yards wherever they are, I don't think that the punting has been our saving grace. I still would go with someone like Bobby or KJ um, has been the most impactful defender so far this year. Uh, Dana, would we have won on Sunday if Quill was healthy playing over Dunbar? That comes from Braxton Kendall. It's a good question, Braxton. I don't know that. I don't know that Seattle would have won. I think it would have been a lot more competitive. I, I think it would have been maybe closer. Seattle might have been ahead at some point. Who knows? Um, but no, I because there was there was plenty of mistakes to go around equally. So I, I can't say definitively that was the only place that there were mistakes being made. So no, you can't really make that 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 call. Um, now, if Russ had been on and everything else looked great and it was just cornerback play, then probably. But I think there were too many other factors in that loss. Yeah, I mean, I think the question is whether if the defense had played a little better, does Russ maybe press less and maybe not have the turnovers? But uh, we, we could hope so. I think we would hope we would hope that would be the case. But, you know, it's it's really hard. It's hard to call that for sure, because there were a couple of times where it was just there were some question marks there on the offense. I'm just going to say that. That team did not come out to win on Sunday. No, I think they thought they were going to win. I think they thought they were going to win and going to cruise through it. And that That looked like the old 10 a.m. Seahawks. Yep. Mm -hmm. Body language. Yep. It was pretty clear. Uh, Okay. And then uh, there's about a million questions in here about the defense. Uh, I think we've covered that (laughs) fairly well. Uh, so I'll take one more for Braxton. I think this will be our last one. Uh, uh, he wants to know, he, or he says, uh, a general litmus test, litmus test for a good draft in the NFL is to have three good starting caliber players. 
Uh, and he wants to know if midway through the season, do we think the Seahawks have that? Uh, I think it looks pretty good for Seattle uh, in that respect, but I'm, I'm more curious if you guys agree that that's the good litmus test for a draft. Three good starting caliber players. Is that a reasonable expectation for a fan to have that their team will come away with that in a draft? I think that's way too high of a bar. I, I, I would say maybe two, to be honest. Maybe one to two. I think there's multiple ways you can judge a draft. For, for me, if you get one, just one, Pro Bowl or all pro level player in a draft, it's a successful draft, even if you don't have other starters. So like, you know, people talk about Snyder didn't have a lot of great drafts after 2012. Frank Clark and Tyler Lockett, for me, that was a fantastic draft. Mm -hmm. You know, two marquee players. So if you're not going to have a Pro Bowl or an all pro, I think then, yeah, getting to three starters, I think, as it starts to be a more reasonable, but that's, that's a pretty high bar if you're going to typically have, you know, eight, nine picks. Uh, okay. I think that covers the Patreon questions. Can I, can I throw one more thing in there too? You have sure. to remember too, that they might not be starters on your team, but there still might be a starter on another team. So let's say you don't keep them after a while, you know, or you trade them out and then they become a starter on a different team. Yeah. Maybe it's a lower caliber team, but I still think it counts. So I think that that's, there's a lot of wiggle room in that exact criteria, um, especially if you've got a team full of stars. So you have to, if they get traded out or moved and transferred, um, as we've seen in Dallas, <laughs> send people to Dallas, um, then, um, then I think that you have to kind of keep that in mind too. Sorry. Um, really quick, before we, we, we talk about the Rams as we, we, we kind of um, move in the, the final part of the show, Russell Wilson had his worst grade for PFF since 2000, I think it was 17 um, on Sunday. Is there anything there? Is there anything that had you guys concerned about? I mean, that's two games out of three weeks where Russell has been either directly or indirectly responsible for three or four turnovers. Um, That's not like him. Um, is there anything in that from, from your guys' perspective? Anything to be concerned about? I mean, is it really not that much not like him? Like, Russell's kind of hot or cold. Did you kind of feel that way, like, as a quarterback with us the past decade? Like, he goes he goes through these streaks where he has three or four games where he's, like, on fire. And then two or three games where he just doesn't look that great compared to normal Russell. ball over like this, so. That's the thing. It's the turnovers to me that are different. I mean, what does he, have? he has eight picks this year, right? Isn't that right? Well, yeah. guys, five in the last two weeks. he knows that he, if he doesn't score 35 points a game, they're not going to win. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, does it, it, would it not be reasonable for him to expect to know that he has to score on nearly every drive for them to win a football game? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the concern. If there's a, I, I don't, I'm not seeing anything in Russ where I'm like, oh, he's broke or something like that, right? But uh i think him having to press and to constantly be challenging on the field and i think it's great that they do that and by and large it's it's worked out well right i mean even in that cardinals game where he threw what two or three you know they still were right in it at the very end so i don't necessarily know that this is something that's killing the team um and and i think that you know beyond the picks what was what stood out to me about the Buffalo game compared to the Cardinals game is I think Russ played really, really good in the Cardinals game, except for like three throws. And, you know, those were the picks. Agreed. In this one, I think he looked pretty consistently off. 
right? Um, and and really, you know, a couple of the picks you could kind of easily just write off as well. He had to do something, right? Um, the fourth down play, and then the whatever that was on like the third and long. Um, I mean, which other the, the fourth down one you can excuse the third and long one you can't really. They probably should have punted there, or whatever. But um, he he just looked generally bad against Buffalo. But I'm not at the point where I'm concerned about it or think that you know how often they're trying to pass is related to it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of in the same place. I just felt like it had to at least ask that question because this team goes as Russell goes. I think we all know that. And I I get where you're going with the pressing piece. I don't think there's any situation where it's okay for Russell to have three turnovers in a game, mm-hmm. period. Like, I just don't think that that's – that's never been a situation where the Seahawks have had a chance to win. And – um so that it is, it is a question for me. And, and like with him passing as much as he's passing, um, you know, just, just from pure volume, like there's going to be, even if he keeps the exact same interception percentages he's always had in his career, he's going to have more picks than he usually, usually has yeah. because mm-hmm. he's throwing more often. Yep. Um, he's going to get sacked more often than he normally is because he has more dropbacks, more chances to fumble. So like those things are real. And so I am kind of just monitoring that to see, is this a, a side effect of letting Russ cook that mm-hmm. we just need to be aware of that is a downside? Um, don't know yet. I'm not, re- I'm personally not ready to make that claim, but it's something I'm kind of curious about. There's one um, thing too, we have to keep in mind. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, go ahead. Dana. Um, I was just going to say that, you know, the, the good and the bad of Russell Wilson is his absolute obsession for winning. And in more times than not, it has, you know, carried Seattle right up over the top and right where they need to be. And they win in the fourth quarter. We see that all the time, but that's sometimes on certain teams, on certain games. And I think this is where Evan's point comes in, where he can be cold, his obsession to win, to win, to push, to push, to go, to go can sometimes come back and backfire on him a little bit. And with as much as he's been throwing and as little as they've been running and as bad as his defense has been, he once again, push, push, push. We have to win. We have to win. I can do this. I can do this. I think it just came back and bit him in the ass this time. I don't know if you guys listened to Russell's podcast today, the Danger Talk show, but he he, he spoke about one of those, I think it was the really bad end zone interception where it was like a tight end. He was targeting in the far right. Um, I mean, what Brian, what you said is like, almost exactly to what, how, to how Russell evaluated himself. He was like, it was an absolutely terrible throw absolutely terrible decision by myself i was trying to force it i was trying to find dk like yeah i mean yeah three interceptions is unacceptable and i think russell holds himself to the same standard yeah i think that's what matters um so let's talk about in the last you know as much as we can go here before evan falls asleep um uh talk about the rams it's late i know dude i know stick with us so I, I did. I, I looked at the Rams this morning uh, and the Rams are freaking weird. They're a weird, weird, weird team. So you've got Sean McVay, who is like the love child of the nerds and analytics community. Yet he runs the ball on early downs like nobody's business. He punts like nobody's business. And that offense, as good as he is as an offensive coach, 
is not that good this year. It, it's I think they've only scored. I have to go back, but they've only scored over like 20 points a handful of times this season. They are ranked 21st in points scored per game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not a good. A mm-hmm. The defense, best defensive player in the league. Yeah. You know, no question. Maybe the best player overall in the game in Aaron Donald. Just a beast. They've got Jalen Ramsey and Darius Williams opposite J- D- Jalen Ramsey. Darius Williams is at least, I think he's at least as good as Ramsey this year. He's a fantastic corner. They've got two great corners. They've got two great safeties in Taylor Rapp, John Johnson. That defense has been, you know, anytime that they, they've given up over 20 points, I think three times. Um, so it's not a lot. They've lost every one of those games. You score, you score over 20 points on this team and, and, and they lose. But guess what? They've only faced two top 10 offenses all year. They've lost both of those games. They gave up more than 24 points in both of those games. This is the best offense they're going to have faced all season. And their offense also hasn't faced a defense like Seattle's yet. That's exactly what <laughs> yeah. so I'm saying. This is a weird – to me, this is a weird team. It's a, it's a weird team. It's hard to, you know, it's hard to evaluate. If they're a running team and that's what they like to do, and Seattle, if there's one thing they can do defensively, it's, it's defend the run. And Snacks Harrison is finally going to play. Know that finally. Um, what are you guys expecting in this game, Dana? Like, what's going to happen in this game? I, I'm not even asking for the score yet, but like, how is this game going to play out? How how do the Rams play against the Seahawks? They play well against the Seahawks. They always do, right? Like, that's uh, I, you know, I this team going clear back to Jeff Fisher is a huge thorn in the side of this of this franchise and it's so frustrating, but here's the way I see it. And, you know, I, I looked at all the numbers and I was looking at everything here's, but my gut goes to the gut. And I know you guys love your numbers and you love your stats, but mine is more of, you cannot put player emotion in a stat. That's just my thought. So I think the Seahawks are going to come out pissed and I think they're going to come out playing better than they played against Buffalo. Buffalo shocked the crap out of them. Pete Carroll admitted it. Like they were like, this is not at all. They were completely underprepared. They're not going to be underprepared for the Rams in any way, shape or form. They play this team so often. They know each other so well. They understand who Aaron Donald is, but they also understand who Jeff Goff, you know, who Goff is. And so we have to, you know, keep that in mind when we're thinking about this evaluation overall. The other thing I looked up was Seattle's win record after loss. This team is really good after a loss. They have been for years. I went clear back to 16, 15, looking at it. They traditionally are over. They win 80, over 80% of their games after a loss. So we, we have that confidence. And then, of course, Russ being harder on himself than anyone else will ever be on him. So I think that this team is going to come out and they're going to disrupt Goff as much as humanly possible. They saw what Miami did. It worked like a charm. Thank you, Miami Dolphins. I think we all need to be, you know, quiet Miami Dolphin fans now. But um, I, I think that they're going to disrupt him as much as possible because they know Russ can score more. It's just that defense has to let Goff be Goff and keep him, 
not from having a career day. <laughs> That's all I'm asking. <laughs> I, I'm interested, Nathan. Um, two questions for you on this. One, the way the Dolphins beat the Rams, at least defensively, made them look really bad. They they did a lot of cover zero blitzing, and and that Rams offensive line had a lot of trouble dealing with it. And Goff looked like Goff. He looked out of sorts. Same time, and you know the Seahawks. If they can do one thing, maybe it's blitz. You know, they have, they have some reason to think they can do that. The Rams have had a bye week. You, you have to think McVeigh has been preparing for that. You know, do you in this particular matchup, knowing the way the corner position is health wise, knowing that all the factors, do you think that blitzing makes more sense in this week, or do you think that, that it makes less sense in in this game? Yeah, I mean, I think the other one, the big one that you didn't say, right, is Brian Flores versus, you know, Ken Norton. And can Norton coach a defense the way Flores can? Um, no, I mean, that's what I said, right? Like, I, I don't prefer the blitz scene. I would rather see them try to do more of what they've done typically. But, um, you know, it worked against the Niners and the <clears throat> the Rams struggled. Um I don't know. We also saw them go into last year playing a ton of base and the speculation was it was designed for them to stop the Rams and emulate what the, what Brian Flores did the year before that with the Patriots <clears throat> and Norton, you know, couldn't pull it off. And um, so we'll see. It'll be, it's, it's gotta be the most interesting thing about this, this game is just to see if Seattle can replicate what, what Miami did. Um, you know, the other thing to throw out there too is, you know, uh, Buffalo had had a lot of success running the week before and, and Seattle came in all geared up to uh, attack their running game. Right. And they were just so surprised that they passed it so much. Um, and so, yeah. And now you've got McVay, like you said, on a bye week and there's a lot of stars kind of aligning in the wrong direction on that. Yeah. But um, yeah, we'll see. It's, it's going to be really interesting to, to watch. I've got to ask you one more question before I, I move it to other folks. So the other question here, Aaron Donald, when he's rushing the passer is as fearsome as anybody. And one of the things that Seahawks have had some success with over the past few years is actually running at him. Um, DJ Fluker famously has had some good success pushing him back and they've put up like a few hundred, 250 yards. They've put up tons of yards rushing at times in the past. Um, is there any part of you that thinks that the Seahawks should not rely on the run, but run more often in this game to at least, uh, you know, counteract Aaron Donald being in pass rush, you know, all the time, especially knowing Ethan Posick is in concussion protocol and may not play this week. Um, you know, they should probably run a little bit more. Um but, you know, they they lost all those or most all of those games where they ran for a ton of yards, right? Like them having su rushing success against this team, it did not help them win the games. And so, uh, no, I would not I would not significantly change what I'm doing. I mean, you have to be aware of Donald. And I do think that he is more vulnerable as a run defender than he is as a pass defender. Um, but for the most part, you still just got to let Russ cook and, and ride him. Especially, Ryan. you know, we'll see what this defense allows golf to do <laughs> brian you want to have you want to have travis homer run against aaron donald 
<laughs> I just want to be clear about what we're uh, suggesting here because Chris Carson is not playing this week. Carlos Hyde is not playing this week. I want to be very clear about something. <laughs> I, I wish that Travis Homer was as good of a blitz pickup back as he seemed to be the first few weeks of the season. He hasn't been. He has been awful at pass protection for the last three or four weeks, like one of the worst in the NFL. And it killed me in that game to not only see him in there, but to have him. The reason Russ threw threw an interception on fourth down, by the way, that was fourth and one. I thought it was fourth and goal, but it was fourth and one. They could have picked up a yard and got a first down on that play. Mm -hmm. Because third and one, they ran Travis Homer. When is Travis Homer ever going to be a power back? Like that is never going to be the right call. Put in Alex Collins. Um, there's another drive. They ran, they ran Travis Homer back to back carries. There should never be a point in this in any game where they run Travis Homer back to back carries. Like there shouldn't be many games that they run anyone back to back carries. So I know you're triggering me intentionally, and you you did it. I. I <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm having trouble understanding why Travis Homer's playing. Bo Scarborough was signed to the practice squad. Alex Collins, for my money, looked just fine last week. Mm-hmm. And his one carry or whatever he got, he ran hard and, and gained some extra yards. Like, that's what we should see. I'm hopeful Chris Carson can make it back. We heard today Chris Carson's actually ahead of Carlos Hyde um, in potential to come back this week. That would be a big deal. All right. Um, Evan? Tell me about Jerry Goff. When he gets rattled, their entire offense collapses. It it will. It, if Seattle can generate pressure reliably on Sunday without overplaying their Jamal Adams pass rushing hand, I think they win the game. But at the same time, you know they're ranked like I think twenty first in points scored. Uh, throughout this year. But like I said earlier, they haven't played the Seahawks defense yet. So they match up really poor, like really poorly for us and really well against, you know, um, us. Like it's, I'm inclined to say this is the toughest remaining game on the schedule. I agree. I really am. I completely agree. Like in terms of matchups, the Rams match up so well against the Seahawks. So Jared Goff could very well light us up on Sunday and put up 40 plus points. I really don't think that's unreasonable. Um, but Evan, they play, you, they play the Cardinals you. again. I, I think they're better than, I think I, I, the Cardinals don't scare me as much. Tyler Murray can only carry a team so far, Nathan. Yeah. yeah. We really. saw it was plenty far enough, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I want you all on record on this. So, so Sean McVay, we've talked about, has done well against Pete Carroll's defenses. They put up points. Um, this defense has been doing terribly. If the Seahawks defense plays well this weekend, is it the credit to the defense or is it credit to Jared Goff? I want that on record now. You do not get to change your story after the game. It's credit to Sean McVay. If, if the Seahawks defense plays well. No, no, no. If Goff, if the Seahawks or the Rams offense plays well, it's, it's no, no, no. That's not the question, Andy Reid. It is if <laughs> if the Seahawks defense plays well, who gets the credit? Is it because the Seahawks defense 
played better and they deserve credit against a team that they always struggle against and they've been struggling against everybody anyway, or is it just Jared Goff sucks? It doesn't matter that they played well. That's what I want you on record answering right now. Oh, I, I'll say, I mean, I, if they play well against the Rams, I, I think the, the defense deserves a ton of credit. They have not shown that they can play well against this team. And, you know, I mean, look, Jared Goof and all that, they're bad. Uh, that offense isn't what it's been, um, but it's still capable. So it's not like it's a trash offense or something, right? It's not like it's the equivalent of the Seahawks defense that they're lining up against. So it's a quality opponent, and, if, and it's one that they've struggled against. And if they can play well against it, then, that, then they'll deserve a ton of credit for it. That's where I am. Dana, I'm guessing that's where you are. It is where I am. I think that, you know, like Nathan said, Jared Goff would like to make fun of him. And is he elite quarterback? No, but he's a, a, a decent quarterback. It's not like he's out there, you know, losing games every season. I mean, he's not the Jets, for God's sake, right? So, I mean, we can, we, we have to give some credit to the way that he has played. So, without question, if they, they manage to beat, your guys' golden boy, your Sean McVay, then they deserve all the credit for that. They will deserve a little bit of credit. Oh, God. Just a, no, no, I'm just being, I, I'm going on the record. It's a bad offense. This is but Jared so you, Goff. You just it's said, no, and, and it's also you a horrible matchup. It is. It's a terrible it is. Matchup. It is, Brian. But this is the thing the Rams are a horrible offense. So if they play well against not them, horrible. They're ranked like 24th in the NFL in points scored per game. If if they if they play well against this offense, they're they, fifth in DVOA. They're fifth yeah, in DVOA. DVOA, BVOA, <laughs> They'll get a little bit of credit. Stats are only good when they support his argument. Correct. Exactly. Correct. Yeah, you're <laughs> when they, him. When they confirm my him. priors, they're good. <laughs> <laughs> They'll get a little bit of credit. Okay. Can I ask one more question before predictions? Can you stay up one, one, one more quick question? Sure. DK Metcalf and Jalen Ramsey. Round so two. Like they went at it last year in the in this last game in in uh in Los Angeles. Did I can't they? remember. I don't if, remember that. Oh, you don't remember that? The video of them, like, yeah. oh yeah, they got into it. Um DK Metcalf actually had six catches for 78 yards in that game. So we saw DK Metcalf get a little bit shut down. I don't know if that's true or if they just were going to Tyler Lockett, but against Patrick Peterson, DK Metcalf didn't do so well. What do you guys think? What do you guys, what would it mean if DK Metcalf actually goes over a hundred yards against Jalen Ramsey? What does that mean about, what would that mean about DK Metcalf in terms of where he is in the league? Would it change your perspective or is it just what you expect? Dana, you go first. I, I will tell you what it means. It means PFF should have put them on their mid-season all-pro team. I'm so pissed about that list. But, yeah, so, um, yeah, I think that um, it's what we expect of him because of the trajectory we see him on. I think they're, without question, this year is so different from last year, and he just keeps going up that escalator. And so I would expect that. And if he be, is to – reach the heights that so many people expect him to, whether you compare him to whoever you want to compare him to. Um, I, I think that if he did that, we would all just smug and say, mm-hmm, yep, that's our boy. I got to say, I would be, I would, it would change things for me. Would it? It would. I, I think 
Jalen Ramsey is as good as they get at corner and especially from the size and physicality, if he can go out there and punk Jalen Ramsey, there's literally, he did it to Stefan Gilmore already this season. If he does that, there is literally nobody that I would look at and say, okay, DK Metcalf might get held down this week. Not even Sherm. No, I don't think so. Sherm I mean, four years ago, maybe, but not Sherm now. I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good one, Nathan, because, I mean, Sherm's so cerebral, and that's a different kind of corner than some of these other players. But I don't think I would have many more questions about DK Metcalf. Patrick Peterson? Not because uh, – he, he, I mean, he didn't show it, right? I mean, they uh, Tyler went off, uh, but DK was quiet in that game. So I guess that's like the one – uh, remember when Sherm was like taking names of all the receivers that he just like blanked uh, back at, at his pinnacle? Uh, if you're doing the same thing for DK, DK can't put Peterson on the list quite yet. Not put Peterson on the list yet. Mm-hmm. I don't think we know how much of that was because Tyler was just dominating that game versus mm-hmm. DK really being shut down. But yeah. it's true. He, he cannot put that pelt on his wall yet. Um, all right. Let's, uh, let's talk about predictions here. Um, what is going to be the final score of this game? And uh, Nathan, we're going to start with you. Uh, I kind of want to go with something stupid like 38-20 um, Seattle. Uh, wow. I don't have any good reason for it. I think I just want to, I want to pick a blowout. So I'm going to. Okay. Dana. Well, that's usually what I do, Nathan. <laughs> but no, this time, I this time I think this the the Seahawks are going to score under thirty points this time. I think that um, that Aaron Donald is going to be felt. That presence will be felt. So I'm actually going a little closer. I'm going 27-24 Seattle. Um, I would not be surprised. I'll, I actually picked them to lose this game originally, I believe, and so it wouldn't surprise. That was early in the season before we saw how Russ and DK were thrown and everything, but. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if that number was flipped, but I do think that both teams will be, I know I expect the Rams to stay under 30, but I I kind of expect Seattle to stay under 32. Evan. I'm going to go 31, 20 Rams. 31, 20 Rams. I was going 30, 21 Rams. You think it'll be that big of a difference even after how much they caught up in Buffalo? I do. I, I, the matchups are just so piss poor for Seattle in this game. I think it can go a lot of ways, quite honestly. I think I'll say this. Who's ever ahead at the end of the first quarter is going to win the game. I, I think if the Seahawks can come out strong in this oh, game, Ryan. I do. I think if the Seahawks, I think they can win the game in the first quarter. <laughs> I, I think say. they can lose the game in the first quarter. I actually believe that this week that's going to happen. And so I think we're going to know pretty early on if the Seahawks offense is just flummoxed um by this defense i think there's a potential for this for that to happen this week i'm hopeful that the defense actually you know will get their best effort mm-hmm. there's a lot of a lot of guys missing uh, yeah I, robert woods who's gonna match up with robert woods who's quick enough to match up with robert woods cooper cups an excellent route runner I just have questions about how the seahawks even the, the tight ends higby and 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 everett like I think the only way that the Seahawks defense makes this game winnable is if they really go crazy on blitzes and get home 
I think that's the only way and they make golf, yeah, make oh mistakes gosh. and maybe a defensive score, something along those lines. Rams special teams actually isn't as good as it used to be. Um, maybe David Moore pops one, but like, I don't think this is, this sets up as the type of game that the Seahawks can just do what they've been doing all year and, and outscore them and, and expect that to work. It's going to have to be a different formula. Mm-hmm. That's hard to argue with. I hope, I hope, I hope I'm wrong. I hope Evan's wrong. I always hope Evan's wrong. Cause it's fun when Evan's wrong. <laughs> Good thing is I'm never wrong. So yes, we will have a peaceful transition of power. Um, uh, following, following what will hopefully be a Seahawks win. Um, but if not, the Seahawks will be looking at what will well, be thought, a one and two record in the division. I thought you were going to make a joke of a peaceful transition of power to the Cardinals sitting at the top of the NFC West. That's because... your joke to make. Who did the, who did the Cardinals play this week? I think they have a week off. Yeah, I thought so. I oh, is it their bye week? Yes. Probably, yeah. Mm. Kind of a lame bye week in that they have to then play on Thursday, so they don't even get a full two weeks. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the Seahawks are going to have this, and that's going to be a factor because the Seahawks have to turn mm-hmm. right around after this game and play Thursday. So, Who? you know, the Cardinals. against the Cardinals. Yeah, I'm way more worried about that game than this one. Really? To have to play divisional teams back to back. That was crappy of the NFL to do, to have to play well, divisional teams back to back in four days. That's crazy. Okay, so it has more to do with the timing of the game? Yes, okay, more to do it. with the timing of the team. Everyone mm-hmm. is saying that the Cardinals play the Bills. I was just going to say, yeah. yeah. Oh, they do. Oh, so they'll play this way. Okay, well, that makes me feel a little better than a bye. They'll beat the Bills. Oh, come on. Oh, I don't know about that. Right. I think they will. I think they will. I think the Bills played the best game they're going to have all season last week. I think so, too. And I'll say, I mean, as much as we're frustrated with the Seahawks, I, Josh Allen played better than I ever thought he could play. I've seen him play a fair amount. I never thought I'd see a game where Josh Allen gets sacked seven times, gets hits like hit like 11 times. And doesn't turn the ball over once. Mm-hmm. Like, He's a good player. Mm-hmm. It's a good team. He had a good day. That's for sure. Um, all right, folks, we're going to let you go. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, if you haven't already, click subscribe. Click the little bell to get notified when we go live. Uh, we will have a post-game show. Um, Evan kind of wimped out, you know, after this last game because he cared so much. It happened. It happened still. It yeah. did. It did. It did later that night after Evan had a chance to to man up but but uh uh we will have a post game show we will see you then who knows maybe we'll drag in some unsuspecting guest um to that conversation and hopefully it's after a it'll feel really good to beat the rams this is a game that no matter where who you picked i think everybody that circles and says you don't feel good playing the rams it's always a questionable game so be a big win Sign up over at patreon.com slash hawkblogger. You can follow along the game day thread in the Slack channel, get immediate access, five bucks a month to join. Love to have you there. Uh, otherwise, pray for good, good health, good weather. And uh, as always,